0: Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for November 16. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. Gramercy. No, I'm not talking about Gramercy Park, New York City, although I will come back to that. I'm referring to an old English word, Gramercy. It was even used by Shakespeare. It's derived from the French, Grand Mercy, meaning heartfelt, big thanks. That said, the name Gramercy, for the only locked private park in New York, was derived from two Dutch words, which mean Little Crooked Swamp, which is what the park originally was. Now permit me a personal note about Judith's and my heartfelt thanks following September 11, 2001. That day we were living downtown in the New York City Financial District, quite near The Twin Towers. With the destruction of the towers, our apartment building was in the original Ground Zero. We needed to find a new place to live. Unexpectedly, I received a call asking if we would be interested in moving into an apartment in the Gramercy area. Yes, please. How heartfelt our thanks were to the Lord and to the phone caller. For us... Gramercy took us back to the earlier English meaning. It also reminded us of the big thanks every one of us owes to God. Consider the scene of Jesus' crucifixion in Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 33. Luke chapter 23, verses 33
1: through 43. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in
0: paradise. Two others, criminals, were crucified with Jesus at a place known as the skull, which in Latin is Calvaria, hence Calvary. The positioning of Jesus between the two criminals seems to have been a deliberate way of implying that he was just another criminal. This also fulfilled the prophecy that we read in Isaiah chapter 53. He was numbered with the transgressors. We can identify two important themes in the passage that follows. A prayer and a promise. A prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Everyone watching that day knew Jesus was innocent. They knew the injustice of it all. So for whom was he praying? Some suggest his prayer was for the soldiers, but in that case he might have said, Father, understand their situation. They were doing their duty. Others say his prayer was for the Jewish leaders who had stirred events that led to his crucifixion. We make better sense of the prayer when we read it all, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus was praying for people who shut their minds to the voice of truth. Yes, he was praying for the Jewish leaders who taunted him, He was praying for the Roman soldiers who mocked him as the king of the Jews. Significantly, with his prayer, he was putting into practice the law of neighbor love that he had spoken about in his parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Now, in his hour of crisis, he was praying for others and forgave them their ignorance. But let me suggest... He was also praying for his followers and the watching crowd. He was also praying for you and me now. At one time or another, we've all mocked the dying Christ. Deep down all of us have rejected his claims to be our Lord. An inscription stating the charges against Jesus was put over his head in accord with normal Roman practice. Significantly, Pilate, the Roman governor, had written, This is the King of the Jews. He quoted back to the Jewish leaders their accusation against Jesus, and in doing so, the Roman governor was also stating the deeper truth that we find in Luke's narrative. Jesus is the King of the Jews. He is the Messiah and the Lord. This theme is illustrated in the conversation that follows. One of the criminals, being crucified with Jesus, was contemptuous. Are you not the Christ, he mocked? Save yourself and us. He chose to die as he had lived, dismissive of anything religious. Even his colleague was shocked. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, he said. As a minister who has been at the bedside of many dying people, let me say, it's tragic to witness this kind of death. There's no peace and no hope for the future. The second criminal chose another path. Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now this man's life was no better than his colleague's. He freely admitted that he and his colleague deserved to die, receiving the due reward of our deeds. Yet, as he died, he reflected on his own unworthiness compared with the innocence he recognised within Jesus. His conscience was stirred. Something about Jesus impressed him. It may have been the sharp contrast between Jesus' prayer and the bitter language of his colleague. He knew Jesus was innocent. This man has done nothing wrong, he said. However bad his life may have been, this man now feared God enough to recognize his need. The simplicity and the directness of his requests are striking. He isn't religious or pretentious. He may have remembered what he was taught as a boy about God about God's promise that one day he would send a successor to the great King David. Perhaps he began to see that Jesus was that King. And so he asked the King for a place in his kingdom when Jesus was enthroned. His repentance came in the closing hours of his life. His faith may have been no bigger than a mustard seed, but Jesus made a promise. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise was a Persian word meaning garden. Found a number of times in the Old Testament, it had special reference to the Garden of Eden. Used here, it's a metaphor for the experience of God's blessing in the world, or the age to come. Jesus was assuring this man of the blessing he would know on his death. His dying would not be without hope, and his experience would be immediate. Today you will experience this, Jesus was saying. There'd be no purgatory or hell. We can hear the echoes of King David's Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. To die with Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is very different from dying without him. The repentant criminal would have died that day with hope in his heart. With heartfelt, big thanks to Jesus, who had made this promise, he could have said from the depth of his soul, There are two ways to die, without Jesus or with Jesus. Which brings me back to a personal comment. Having been given sanctuary after 9-11, Judith and I used Gramercy in its old English sense to express our heartfelt thanks to the Lord for protecting us and providing us with a new home and in turn a place where we could launch what became Christ Church New York City and later in 2010 what is now Emmanuel Anglican Church New York City. In God's mercy, the ministry that God is the Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy, continues in both churches today. So let me pray. God our Father, whose will is to bring all things to order and unity in our Lord Jesus Christ, grant that all the peoples of the world, now divided and torn by sin, may be brought together in His kingdom of love. people involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church Presbyterian San Francisco. The prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the opening and closing music is from St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You also may want to listen to Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death from Keith and Kristen Getty and Matt Papa at Getty Music. Dot
1: com.